It's so good to be here with you. Um, just in case you don't know me, I'm Pastor Chris Spitters. I am the uh, campus pastor at our Stevensville campus, and I don't get to be here with you very often, so I am thankful for this opportunity. Uh, pastor David Culp is preaching this morning. Um, he is at another church uh, sharing, so I'm here, and back in Stevensville, my son Brian is preaching this morning. So, um, and I see a few people just got up and like, we're going to go see Brian preach instead. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That's where Candy is, my wife, <laughs> which is right. Well, we have been in a wonderful series in Job. Just finished that up last week. And uh, now today we start a new series where we'll be in the book of Ruth. There are four chapters as opposed to Job having 42 chapters, uh, only four chapters in Ruth. We're going to focus on one chapter each week. So today we'll be in chapter one of Ruth. If you brought your Bible, uh, feel free to open it. We'll have the scriptures on the screen for you. Uh, starting with Ruth, Ruth 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So the days when the judges ruled is referring to this time period, uh, probably around 400 years, between when the, the people entered the promised land um, and then when Saul became the first king. And there's this time when they don't have a king, and there's, it's kind of a, a time of chaos, and the judges try to bring some, some law and order to the chaos as the people are trying to settle in this new promised land that God has given to them. There's a lot going on this, this time. It's uh, at times a very dark time. Uh, all the tribes, there's 12 of them, they don't always get along or they don't always come together. At times they work together to um, conquer the, you know, the evil people around them. But um, for the most part, uh, there's a lot of turning away from God during this time. There's a lot of uh, seeing the pagan religions around them and saying, oh, that looks kind of cool. Let's try that for a while. So the judges are not only, you know, like law and order kind of judges. They're actually sent from God to bring leadership to the people during this time because they get off track sometimes. And they, they start to worship other, other gods instead of their one God, Yahweh. And the judges come and bring, bring wisdom and bring leadership to pull them back to God again. Oftentimes there's a famine, there's, uh, you know, a, a drought, uh, there's something happens. God uh, will use these things at times to get his, the attention of his people so they'll come back to him and turn away from false gods. So that's probably what's happening here. When we read that a severe famine came upon the land, it's probably an indication that the people had turned away from God and God is trying to get their attention back again. So a man, here's what happens. Here's how one person, one family, decides to deal with the challenges of famine in the land. One man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So 
moving is never easy. Anybody moved recently? You can, you know, affirm that moving can be really hard. But for them, it's even more difficult. You know, for us, it's like, okay, you, you've got to find a new job, and you get your new job, so then you sell your house, you buy a new house, you know, you pack up, get the U-Haul, pack up all your stuff, and you have move day, and you get to drive down a nice paved road to the new town where you live, the new house you live in, and start your new job. It's challenging, but for Elimelech and his family, it's crazy challenging. They're moving to a new country, not just a new town. Uh, it's got a, a completely different culture. They're, for, they're foreigners in a, a foreign land when they make this move. They are actually, if you looked at it on a map, they have to pass through one of the most difficult areas to travel through, uh, the Jericho Pass, dangerous trail to be traveling on. They are going backwards, basically. I mean, the people left Egypt, wandered in the wilderness, finally entered the Promised Land, and now they're heading back that wrong direction toward Moab. Is this a right move? Did Elimelech do this prayerfully? Is this God's plan for Elimelech and his family, or is he just going off on his own? It's like, we're hungry. I'm going to go find some stuff to eat in Moab. Was he led by the Spirit when he made this huge decision to move his family? I, I don't know if we can really know that for sure, but we can look at our own lives and say, well, how am I living my life? How am I making decisions, big decisions, small decisions? It's a lot easier when we look back, you know, on decisions we've made. Hindsight is always better than foresight. For example, uh, some of you Michigan State fans are probably thinking, I should have been a U of M fan. <laughs> right? Am I right? Of course, I, an MSU fan told me uh, earlier this morning, well, you've got to keep in mind that seven of the ten times they've played each other in the past ten years... MSU is one. So it depends on how far back your hindsight goes, right? Anyway, we're not here to talk football. Um, point is, we need to be prayerful when we make decisions. And we all have decisions to make. Some of them are really big decisions. Uh, but every day we make just little decisions as well. We need to be prayerful. We need to be spirit-led We've got to be guided by the Spirit of God in every decision we make. Well, Elimelech makes this decision, and he moves his family, and it does not turn out well. Look at the next verse, verse 3. Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. What a tragedy. They've moved to this foreign land, and now Naomi is a single mom trying to make ends meet in a culture where women are at the mercy of men. It's just a, it's a very challenging situation now for Naomi and her two sons. Verse 4, the two sons married Moabite women. So they're settling in. They're becoming like the people around them. These Jewish boys uh, marry Moabite girls. Their decision to marry goes against the law of God, by the way. Just pointing this out. God says that 
this about the people who settle in the promised land. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Now, let me be clear. It's not that God's a racist. It's not that God hates anyone who's not a Jew. That's not what's happening here. God has compassion on all people everywhere of all nations. God has chosen his chosen people to bring God's grace to all people. That's who God is. Scripture is clear about that, and that will become more clear to us in the story of Ruth itself. In fact, Ruth herself is not a Jew, and yet there's a, a, Bible, a, a book in the Bible that is named after her, a non-Jewish woman. That says a lot. The reason that God gives his people for not intermarrying is written right here. They will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. God knows what's going to happen if they intermarry, and they're going to abandon their faith. Anybody ever feel this way? Any parents here have been worried about this kind of thing happening to your kids? They, you, they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. There's a whole lot of other gods all around us, right? First, Naomi and her boys, they abandoned their promised land, and then they set aside the laws of God and intermarry. So they're settling right in to this pagan culture in which they live. I have to ask myself, how am I adapting my life to the secular culture around me, a culture that many more do not acknowledge God than do, more seek to live a life, a God-honoring life than, than do. That's the culture that we live in. Am I adopting those values and those priorities of the secular culture that I live in? Or am I holding strong to the values and priorities that I receive from God? Well, verse 4, the two sons marry Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah. So, I'm thinking, if you're going to marry somebody outside the will of God, you may as well marry a famous talk show host, right? <laughs> that just makes sense. So they marry these Moabite women. One married a, a woman named Oprah, and the other a woman, Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. Maybe everything's going to work out. My sons are getting married. They got good jobs. They're going to bring in some income. Everything's going to be fine. Nope. Her life crashes down around her. Verse 5. About 10 years later, both Malan and Killian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. It's just unthinkable how bad this gets. Kind of reminds you of Job. If you were around for the past four weeks that we talked about Job's life, she loses her husband and both of her sons. Are you kidding? This is unthinkable. A woman alone in a culture like this has to get very creative if she's going to survive. You know that she's really struggling with this. Not only is she weighed down with all this grief from this terrible loss, but how am I going to live? So with all that weight upon her, she's 
keeping her ears open for anything she might hear that could bring a little bit of hope. And she hears something. Verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. The famine is over in Judah, back home. The promised land actually is showing promise again. It's being fruitful. God is pouring out his blessing on his people. So what will she do? So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Naomi's going where the grass is greener. Is she making this move prayerfully? I hope so. Is she trusting God or is she stepping out on her own? We hope that this is a move that she has asked God to guide her with. I don't know how we can really know what's going on and where her prayer life was at at the time, but it reminds me how important it is for me to seek God always, making my moves only after praying and seeking the Lord's guidance, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, so I am always hearing from the Spirit as I make big decisions and small decisions. Well, Naomi is going back to the promised land. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Naomi is going home, and this feels right. It, it seems as though Naomi had taken a detour, had gotten off track. She had traveled far from home, far from the land that God had promised her and her people. But now she's getting herself turned around, and she's getting back on the right track, heading home again. Sometimes we take a wrong turn, right? Sometimes we end up in a place where we're not meant to be. And when we realize we're not where we need to be, we have a choice to make. We can either sink down roots into this foreign land, into this place where I know I shouldn't be, or we can pull up and make a move and begin to take steps toward the life that God has called us to live. That's what she's doing. Are we confident? Are you confident? This is a question that I asked myself this week as I dug into the, this, uh, this story. Am I confident that I am right where God wants me to be? Am I in that sweet spot that God has for me? Am I confident of that? Do I know it? Am I certain? Not just talking about a physical place. I'm talking about a spiritual place. Am I in this place God wants me to be? Is it a good place? Or is it time for me to make a move? To get out of Moab and get to the promised land that God has for me. Naomi makes her move. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Why are they weeping? Because they love each other. They, 
They've been through so much together. These two daughter-in-laws of hers, they, they, they left their families and joined her family. But Naomi doesn't want to put them through the same thing that Elimelech, her husband, put her through when he made a decision to move their family. Will she now do to her daughters what her husband did to her? Will she make them leave their parents' home, their homeland, their place that's safe and secure the, to a place that has trial and, and trouble? No, she's not going to do that to her son's wives. Instead, she speaks blessing over them. She prays for them. She sets them free to go. Go and choose the way that is a safer, more, more providential way for you. It's a difficult decision for sure because she loves them. They are her only family she has left. They have faced hardship together. They've learned to trust one another. They love each other. But Naomi lets them go. What do they say? No. <laughs> we want to go with you to your people. I love you, Naomi. You are my true mother. I left my family to join you and your family when I married your son. I will not leave you now in your time of need. But Naomi replied, Why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, if I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Notice those last two words, my daughters. She feels about her daughters the way I feel about my son Scotty's wife, Jesse, and my son Brian's wife, Cassie. They're my daughters. They're not just my daughters-in-law. They're my daughters. And I love them. That's how Naomi feels here. She is willing to live without them if it's the best thing for them. Now, a Jewish man was expected to take his brother's widow into his home and provide her with a son who could then provide that woman with... Um, with an income with, with, to take care of her as she grew old. That's just how the Jewish culture was set up. But Naomi is basically telling her daughters, I can't do that for you. I, I can't provide you with another son to become your, your husband to care for you. I can't fulfill this obligation. Verse 13, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Have you ever felt like that? Like God has raised his fist against you. Why, God? Why, why do you allow such pain into my life? Now, if you've lived a little bit longer than most, then maybe you've seen the other side of that pain. Maybe you've gotten to where you can look back, hindsight, remember? Um, and you've looked back and you can see how, how things work and how God is working even in difficult, hard situations. But many of us find ourselves, maybe even now, maybe today, still in the middle of something that's hard. And you're like, God, what, what's going on? Why? 
why are you doing this? We dealt with a lot of these questions in the last month with Job, so we're not going to jump in there and deal with it more right now, but it's hard. It's hard to see it. All Naomi knows is bitterness. It's as if God has slammed her down and crushed her hopes and her dreams and caused her, I don't know, maybe even to question her faith, although she is praying and asking God's blessing over her daughters. In the midst of all the pain, she still has held on to her faith. When they wept together, and Orpah kissed, uh, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Orpah has made her decision. She's going back to normal, safe, secure, back to her people, back to the home of her family, back to the provision and care that they provide, back to the customs that she's acquainted with and the life that she's familiar with, back to the gods that she is comfortable worshiping. I mean, can you blame her? Are we all that different How many of us, when given the chance to change, when given the choice to choose a new life, how many of us go for it? How many of us just sit back and kind of choose the life that's comfortable, normal, maybe easier? So what do we do? We fall back into that addiction. We fall back into that familiar sin. We fall back into that old habit because it's comfortable. We, we do some things over and over that have just held us back for years. And we choose it because it's easy. It's like, like an old shirt that you can slip right into and it just feels comfortable even though it looks tattered and horrible. Oprah, jeez, <laughs> that's good. It's my own fault. <laughs> Orpah, um, she kisses her... Um, mother-in-law goodbye. What does Ruth do? Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. You should be like everyone else, Ruth. You should not take the risk. You should not try a new path. Just just do what your sister Orpah did. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. And these are powerful words that many of you have heard before. Hear them again. Let them sink in. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Deeply, deeply moving words. These are the kinds of words that you hear at a wedding when two people come together and they make vows that they will be faithful to each other for their entire life. They, They make vows that they will be their person to each other. And they seal those vows with a ring. This is what's happening right here between Naomi and Ruth. This is the kind of 
of relationship that we need. We, we need to know who our people are. We need to know who's going to be with us on this journey. Who's, who's with me? Who's doing life with me? Friends, family. We, we need to know that, that we're connected and we're strong and we have each other and we can count on each other, that God connects us, that we are, we are one spirit, that God is, is bonding us together as one. Look what Ruth does here. She's willing to give up everything to be with Naomi. She's willing to give up her family back home. All the support that she might have received from them. Again, the chance of marrying that nice Moabite boy. That's out. Ruth is willing to trade in safe for risky. She trades in familiar for the unknown. Comfortable for a challenging life. Easy, normal life? Nope. She'll let that go, and instead she will take on the difficult, extraordinary life. Why? Probably a few reasons. One is she loves Naomi. Naomi is her mother. Naomi has been there for Ruth, and now Ruth will be there for Naomi. She cannot bear the thought of Naomi taking off by herself on this long journey alone in the wilderness. Many of us have had a taste of isolation, you know, with this pandemic. We understand how important it is that we have deep relationships, people that we count on, friends that are there for us, strong family ties that, that, that hold us up. We are not created to live in isolation. We are created to live in deep relationship with one another and with God. Well, Ruth has come to know Naomi's God. Her eyes have been opened to see that her, the pagan religions that she uh, grew up with mean nothing. She has come to know Naomi's God in a real way. Look what Ruth says. Your God will be my God. She's taking a hold of faith in God. Ruth claims that Naomi's God is now mine. That's a personal proclamation of faith that she gives. That God over there that is a distant God, that is a detached God, that's an impersonal God, that's not who God is. Ruth recognizes that this is my God, a close God, an attached God, a very personal God. This is the beautiful impact that Naomi has on Ruth to open Naomi's eyes to see God in this way. They have been through so much together, terrible loss, horrible circumstances, and through it all, Naomi has acknowledged God even though she's, she's shaking her fist a time or two. She's, her faith has been strong, and that has impacted Ruth to the point now where Ruth says, you know what, I'm not... I can leave those gods behind. Your God is now my God. And we all ought to have that same joy, you know, the joy of being able to, um, to help someone else see who God is, to, 
to be so close and to share so deeply with another person that they say, you know what? I see something in you and your God that I want. Your God is going to be my God. That's a beautiful thing. Well, Ruth is committed to this path. There's no turning back. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. She stopped trying to talk her out of it. So the two of them continued on their journey. And what a journey this is. Two women traveling together through a dangerous land with no man to look out for them. One's a Jew, one's a Moabite. They just are an unlikely pair. And yet they are moving out in faith, renewed faith in God that God is, has empowered them to make this make this journey happen. You know, when you know you're on the right path, when you know you're doing the right thing, God can just give you the encouragement and the inspiration and the strength you need to just make that journey and to keep moving and to keep that destination in mind. Again, I have to ask myself, and, and I hope and pray that you, that we all are, do, are asking ourselves some really important questions. Have I settled into a life that is not the life God has for me? Am I in Moab when I ought to be in the promised land? Am I settling for safe when I ought to take a risk? Am I living a normal life when God has called me to this extraordinary life? Well, Naomi and Ruth continue on, and finally they arrive in Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I don't know, just now I hadn't thought of this before. That reminds me of Anne of Green Gables when Anne doesn't want her name. I don't know, anybody watch that? Oh, yeah, a few people, Okay. She doesn't want her name. She wants an elegant name. And if it's got to be Anne, at least put an E on it. Uh, Naomi, just, she doesn't want to go by Naomi anymore because Naomi means pleasant. And her life is not pleasant. Her life is bitter. Mara means bitter. So, uh, so she arrives and she's welcomed and people are excited to see her. But that all the joy and relief of, of of surviving this incredibly difficult trip and getting to, to Bethlehem. It's all tempered by the fact that she's bitter, that she left Bethlehem with a husband and two children, and now her husband is gone, and her boys are gone, and she's bitter. Her life is not pleasant. Sometimes a person needs a new name, Naomi feels that she needs a new name. Abram, his name was changed to Abraham. Sarai was changed to Sarah. Simon was changed to Peter, the rock. Paul, the persecutor, was changed to Saul, the apostle. Here's an interesting question for all of us to consider. If you had to change your name, Let's just, let's just consider for a moment. Everybody's got a chance to change your name to a name that fits your life right now, a name that would describe 
your life and where things are at and how you feel about everything, what would your name be? Would you be Mara, the bitter? Would you be Naomi? Eh, life is pleasant. Would you be Amos, which means a heavy load or burden? Hmm. Would you be Asher, which means happy, blessed? Would you be Ezra, which means help? <laughs> I know people with beautiful names. Grace is a beautiful name. Joy is a beautiful name. Um, I know people that named their kids those names for a reason. Nobody names their kid mad. <laughs> Nobody says, you know, I think she looks like depressed. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But what if we named ourselves right now honestly? Naomi is being honest about what's happening in her life. Her life is not pleasant. She is Mara. She's bitter. At least being genuine about where her life is at will actually help her move forward. Well, let's look at the final chapter, or the final verse of this chapter. Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And this is where we'll stop our story today. We'll pick up next week in chapter 2. David Culp will be back with you next week um, and, and pick this up. Um, if you're reading Ruth for the first time, you're probably really surprised, like, what's happened here. You've got this family that, uh, that left the, the promised land and journeyed far away. Uh, terrible tragedy happened. Naomi survives her life and her faith intact, but she's bitter. But two people are inseparable, a mother and a daughter. They are fiercely devoted to one another. They have chosen to pursue this new life, and they're doing it with a passion. They left comfor comfortable to discover something new that God has for them. The last line of this verse gives us a little hint of what's coming. It's, it says it's the beginning of the harvest. Something new is growing. Something new is coming. It's almost ready to be harvested. A harvest means there's hope. What is, what is happening in your life? What is God doing? And maybe even today as we looked at Ruth's story, maybe you're feeling something growing inside of you, something new, something that God is calling you to. Naomi has become Mara, a bitter person, but but there's still hope here, right? There's a harvest of love and joy and peace and grace that's coming in the future. And we'll get there. Next Sunday, we'll continue the story. For now, let's just pause for a moment to just consider uh, what God is saying to each of us this morning. So I want to close with um, this verse that I happened to, upon this morning in my quiet time, um, uh, I was in Lamentations chapter 3. This is verse 40. Would you just close your eyes and, and let's just be prayerful and kind of let this verse sort of guide some of our prayers as we, as we close. 
Lamentations 3.40 says this, let us examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God. Lord, help us to examine our ways. Lord, would you just like a flashlight, just shine it on to our life. Shine onto my life. Help me examine my ways. Am, am I living in Moab or am I living in the land that you promised to me? Lord, am I choosing ordinary when you have something extraordinary for me? Lord, am I investing in deep, committed relationships? God, help me to examine my ways. What would you like to point out to me, Holy Spirit, in this time? What would you have me address? Lord, in this verse, it says, uh, let us turn back to you. God, I, I want to turn back to you. If I am at all distant in some place that I'm not meant to be, God, I want to turn back from Moab and start heading back to where I'm close to you. And, and I, I want to make that move now. Or take me back to a closer place with you. I choose that now to turn my face in the direction you would have me go, to turn towards a, a more intimate, closer walk with you. Lord, in this verse, it says to lift up our hearts and our hands, and so I just place my hands over my heart right now. And Lord, my prayer is that you would, you would receive my heart. I give my heart to you. I I surrender my life to you, Lord. Take my heart. And if it's broken, Lord, would you begin to heal my heart? Lord, would you do a work in our hearts this morning? Give us life. Fill us with, with life. That your life would pump through all of us beginning with my heart. And Lord, as this verse says, to open my hands to you, I, I do that now. I, I, I just open up my hands. And again, I, I surrender my life to you. I, Lord, as I look at where I am and where I'm going, I, all that I am and who I am and my, the new name I have for myself or the wh whoever I am, God, I I. I just open up my hands and I surrender my life to you. And, and with open hands, I, I also ask that you would pour out you into me, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would guide me, that you would guide my, my decisions, that you would speak to me in a still, small voice, that, that you would help me get from where I am to where I need to be your presence in my life. I, I open my heart and my hands to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.